Hypocrites, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. I like to give Bev challenging passages, and uh, that's a challenge to her, but I'm, a chal- I'm sure a challenge to all of us. Let's pray for Bev. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you love Bev. Thank you for your Holy Spirit given to her given to all of us and we say more lord more of your spirit within her right now thank you that you've met with her thank you've given her this message and we pray that you will fill her thank you lord jesus that your words were spirit and life and we pray for those words to flow through bev now give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us thank you lord amen when i first came to forest hill the decision to to come to Forest Hill um, was actually a video that Nigel showed in, you know, you're giggling already, so you, <laughs> but I'd, I'd been, I'd arrived in the UK, two kids, we'd gone to a couple of churches, then settled into um, a Methodist church in um, East Dulwich, and um, I'd started the Alpha, I thought, you know what, been on this Christian mill for a long time, Let's just get back to basics. And I start. I went to the Alpha because I saw the big orange thing on the high street. And I thought, well, after Holy Spirit Day, I would just attend a service just to see what it was like. <laughs> and Nigel played this video clip of a comedian who's a psychiatrist. And people were coming to him with all sorts of odd things. And all he would say is, stop it. Just stop it. And I thought, you know what? If a church can play this and have the message so simple, stop it. I'm going to come to this church because I love those type of sermons. And yeah, so here I am. Is it how many years later? Old school. And really... This could possibly, potentially be the shortest sermon I have ever given. (laughs) Yeah, because there's nothing ambiguous about this. (laughs) Yeah? But before we, we read the, the, the passage, Ananda has read, and we're going to go through it twice in different versions. But actually, let's just put this a little bit into context. Um, this is Jesus teaching his disciples. He's teaching them. He's taken them away. But then the multitude gather, and we have the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah? So it's part and parcel of Jesus' teaching, and if you've got a red-letter Bible, you will see these chapters just read, yeah? Everything Jesus said, yeah? And he's been teaching initially um, about the themes connected with our inner being, yeah? So he goes through the Beatitudes. He's talking about things within ourselves. He talks about... Um, giving and prayer and fasting. He talks about materialism. He talks about anxiety over material things. Want for nothing. So this is Jesus' teaching, okay? Um, In chapter 6, we see him teaching on prayer. So the Lord's Prayer, as we know it, where the disciples say to him, 
teach us how to do this? How do we do this? So it's in this backdrop, Jesus talking, Jesus teaching, and he's teaching his disciples because he trusted these 12 guys yeah, for when he'd gone, these chaps were going to take on. The multitude had gathered, so a lot of people were listening. So, if you look at this, it's not in parable form. It's, it, you know, Jesus told a lot of parables. But here, it's very blunt. Very blunt. It's very straight talking, and actually no explanation is needed, except stop it. Just stop it. So judge not that you may not be judged. Hello? Any nuances there? Any innuendo? Stop it. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And in Africa, we have a lovely saying, when you've got one finger pointing at somebody, you've got three pointing back at you. Can you all do that for a minute? Just point. And can you see the three? <laughs> yeah, we do that too. <laughs> but can you see? You're pointing, and what's looking back at you? Will you remember this? Next time you point a finger at somebody, you've got three. This is what Jesus is saying. Yeah? <laughs> okay, or you can do that. <laughs> you know, looking at the speck in your eye, how dare you? Yeah, and he uses this word, I love, hypocrite, with a, an exclamation mark. I mean, how blunt can you be? This isn't even what you call it, the passive aggressive. Yeah? So there's not even a passive aggressive about this. It's just you're a hypocrite, don't do it, stop it. So I thought, well, maybe I'm missing a point. Maybe I'm being trying to be too super spiritual, too theological, which we know I'm not. So let's have a look at another version. So I go and look at it in um, the message. Other way, there we go. And I actually liked the introduction. So this is in the message, a simple guide for behavior. Um, so even in modern language, in our conversational language, it's very blunt, to the point, no innuendo, no parable, stop it. Yeah? And you can see, don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging <laughs> It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own. Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted by contempt? And actually, while we were worshiping earlier on, there was that sort of little glimmer of something called Michelle, that spirit that comes along when we're worshiping and says, don't make a fool of yourself. Mm. What do you call him? David, before the ark, dancing before the ark. What's, how do you say it? Michael. Michael, okay. It was a woman. <laughs> Pick her So Michael, and she condemns David. She says, oh, don't make a fool of yourself. Put your clothes on. You're a king for heaven's sake, yeah? Because he's dancing before the ark. And there was just a little flutter through here earlier on. 
and just had to say, look, go, you're not welcome here. We will worship before the Lord, and we will dance, yeah? Um, that's beside the point. So, but this thing about contempt, it's very, very easy, yeah? It's very easy to take the high ground on things, um, but I like this. It's the whole traveling road. Show mentality over again. Play a holier-than-thou part instead of just living your part. Wipe that ugly sneer off your own face, and you might be fit to offer a washcloth. So can you see? No innuendo, no parable, no hidden message. Jesus is being very straightforward, blunt, and to the point. So I suppose... If in modern living, this is off Facebook, I liked it, and about 20 other people liked it on my Facebook. So live without pretending, love without depending, listen without defending, speak without offending. And I suppose on one level, that is a way of never causing judgment, speaking judgment, um, living in a position of judgment. And I thought that was quite a nice sort of thing to remember, that we, as Christians, this was a new age thing, by the way. Okay? So if they get it, we should as well, as the church. Yeah? But this is what Jesus is actually saying. Don't judge, but live without pretending. Love without depending. Listen without defending and speak without offending. And I thought that was quite nice. And possibly this is a short version of how to live without a judgmental spirit. Yeah? So I got to thinking, well, I can't really do a sermon in five minutes. That's not fair to you. It's not fair to me. (laughs) So... I got before the Lord and asked him, what what are we looking at here? This is blunt. This is straightforward. We know this. So where do we go with this, Lord? And the Lord showed me that actually this is something I have battled with all my life. (laughs) Judgment. Taking that high ground. Sometimes acting very holier than thou. And I come from a background of intense indoctrination, state indoctrination, where we at a very early age were indoctrinated to believe that as white people we were superior. Okay? The sad thing about apartheid is that the whole ethos was found and based and motivated by somebody's warped idea of Genesis. So it actually had a theology behind it, (laughs) which is scary, that the theology had underpinned a horrific, inhumane political system. Our education system was called the Christian education system. And in that system, it was written out quite bluntly that white kids could go right the way through, say, to A-level. We called it matric. That mixed race, Indian kids, 
would go to, say, just one year below an O level so that they, for the market, would just hold jobs that were sort of your administrative jobs, your, um, your admin-type jobs, basically, shopkeepers, etc. And that black kids could only have a junior school level education because that was the part in society that they were going to play. Because in Genesis it says somewhere that somebody has to be the servants to the rest of the people. Now that, is an edu- that was an education system that we were entrenched in. Even today, I met somebody recently and we were talking. I said, oh, what school did you go to? And she said, oh, this one. And immediately in my mind, I thought, hmm, I wonder what she did to land up at that school. Okay? We were so indoctrinated that it's taken years to get that classification thinking out of my system. Now, I'm not just talking race, because it it, it gets into everything. And you start, when you meet people, you start immediately think, oh, middle class, low class, working class, um, do they know the O to Joy? Maybe not. Did they go to a public school, to a private school? And, you know, these things rattle through your brain. And before you know it, your eyes are clouded. You look at somebody according to what they look like, how they speak, and it's there. It's in all of us. And in fact, a lot of work has been done in many areas on something called unconscious bias. Okay? So it's there. And we all have to recognize it. And I find it especially when we go out in the streets on a Saturday. This is where God has really dealt with me. I had some issues with Muslim people. So you know what? For a few months, who did God give me words and visions and pictures for? Muslim people. Then I had a drama or you know, a real theological debate in my head about the whole homosexuality agenda. I thought, what am I doing here? Is it right? Is it wrong? Blah, blah, blah. So guess what? For two months in a row... Who did God bring to me (laughs) to pray for with words and visions? Gay people. And God in this way has made me deal with my own bigotry. Let's call it what it is. Yeah? That thing within me that triggers a judgment. Yeah? And... What I, I've learned so much from this journey, so much from this journey, and I want to share some of it now. And what the Lord laid on my heart are two scenarios, two people in Scripture who actually had lived a walk, walk constrained by judgment. Okay, They had boxed themselves in thinking, this is me, this is what I believe, And this is how I'm going to treat others because of this paradigm, this box that is around me. The first one is Peter. And I just love this. I love this. Because here, Peter is being changed from the inside out. Yeah? 
He's alone. He's with God. He's doing his stuff. He'd gone somewhere. And Peter had been conditioned by an entire lifelong learning of what to eat and what not to eat. He lived in a society that said, this is right, that is wrong. Yeah? So he was right in the middle of it. He was conditioned. He was um, boxed in with this thinking, this mindset. And you see, the thing is, that box that he put himself in or he was in through no fault of his own, please, okay, through no fault, just the way it was. Here he was, boxed in. But he created a barrier to reaching others. And this is what we see here. We see the vision. It's in Acts 10 and 11. We see this. Peter, we read about it. He repeats it when he goes back to the council of disciples saying, whoa, guess what? We were wrong. (laughs) Yeah, we were wrong. So he has this vision, the food coming down, the Lord saying to him, you know what, mate? I created this stuff. Eat it. Yeah? So this work is done internally in a private way between God and Peter. And yes, it was through vision. You're not going to argue with it. Yeah? And in fact, Peter says to the, disciple, to the, the council of disciples later on, he says, Who am I to have argued with God? (laughs) Yeah? Who am I to withstand what God was telling me? I'm not going to argue with God. I'll argue with you lot, but I'm not going to argue with God. Okay, essentially is what Peter says to the disciples later on. So he is changed. His mind, the paradigm, that thinking shifts. Say from left to right. For what purpose? The knock on the door. Somebody calling him saying, come, we need to, can you please come? And he goes, and what happens is incredible. (laughs) He walks into a home that before he would never have stepped foot in. Ever. He walks into that home. He starts to talk. And what happens? The Holy Spirit falls in that place in such a mighty way. I often think I'd love to have been a fly on that wall because Peter's face must have been an absolute joy. (laughs) Because this, in his paradigm, in his thinking was, number one, not allowed to happen because they were Gentiles. They were unclean. They were uncircumcised. And as we say in South Africa, cis man. You know, you just don't cis. Don't come near me. You see, if he hadn't had that inner experience, that changing of his mind by God, would he have been able to step out and go somewhere, speak to a people. And you see, because of this, this, we are here today. We are not Jewish. We are not circumcised. Well, okay. We are not circumcised. <laughs> yeah? C- can you see the impact of this 
on history. Can I ask that question again? Can you see the impact of this on history? Can we acknowledge that if Peter had continued to walk in the judgment that he thought was right, if he hadn't have had his mind changed by God, what would have happened to us 2,000 years later? Would we be here? Maybe God would have raised up somebody else. Who knows? So there's this inner working. When we are alone with God, where he takes you through things to say, where is that stuff that needs to come undone? Will you allow me to change your mind about something? And that can be quite challenging. It can be quite scary. You know, God had to bring that vision three times down from heaven. Didn't happen the first time. Because God knows us. He knows it's difficult to change our minds about something that is established within us. Let's go on. Paul And here, Saul turns into Paul again through an incredible situation. But this one where Peter was done in private, that inner work that led to that outer manifestation. Here, Saul is faced with a circumstance. He is stopped in his tracks. He's in a situation that he has no control over. Yeah? No control. What did Saul, up to this point, been doing? Anyone? Persecuting Christians. Why was he going to Damascus? To kill them. And he gets stopped dead in his tracks. So he is faced with a situation where he has no choice. He has no control over the situation. But he has walked in religious judgment for so long that he believed what he was doing was correct. It was written in the law. But now his his situation, he gets whacked by God. He goes blind. And I love this, you see, because the other player in this whole drama is Ananias. And when they call Ananias, please would you go and pray with Saul? (laughs) He says, no chance. (laughs) No chance. Would you? When we are faced with people who are persecuting us, belittling us, putting us down, hurting us, is it easy? And here, this guy's under threat of losing his life. But Ananias had a decision to make. Did he trust his own judgment? 
or did he move in faith believing that God was in control? And thank God for all of us, he did. And I've just got that picture. Saul then morphs into Paul. And Ananias, he as well was bound by judgment. His preconceived ideas, he had this box around him with a preconceived idea. This man is dangerous. He's come to kill us, which was true. Which was true. And he had this mindset. And if he had stuck to that mindset, he would have locked Saul into blindness and judgment. So judgment is a two-way thing. When we take that high road, no matter how right we can be, we can lock others and this is what scares me. You know, it's okay for, for us to take that high ground and we're accountable to God. But you know, our judgments on others locks them into a situation. And that is quite, that is actually the, the sad part of all of this. And how many of us have been locked in because a name somebody called us 50 years ago? Yeah? Or a situation that you faced and we're locked in because somebody else has put that on us. Saying everyone needs compassion. And I have found it very hard, those people that have hurt me, when God eventually says to me, It's time now, would you pray for them? That person that tore you down, would you pray for them? Would you go and speak to them? And it's been a very difficult thing. I can understand Ananias thinking, mm, <laughs> Lord, do I really have to do this? But one thing the Lord has taught me is that by releasing that person from my judgment, you're releasing them into the hands of Jesus to be the people that God intended them to be. Now, I'm not saying we have the power over other people, but it's very easy to do is to lock other people into judgment and equally for us to be locked in judgment. And if you look, if we just go to the next one and I kept saying, well, Laura, how do we do this? What, what do you want to do? And he said, I want my people to start seeing differently. I want my church to be the eyes of society. I want my church to come out of a position of judgment on everything. I want to open eyes but the Lord is saying, are you prepared to have your mind changed? Are we prepared to work with people who don't agree with us on theology? There is revival breaking out in churches across this nation. 
And we look at them and think, oh, we couldn't do that. Oh, that's not biblical. Oh, oh. But God is moving and he's saying, are we as individuals prepared to have our minds changed? Are we locked into a tradition, a theology that maybe now needs to shift? So that the whosoever that Jesus has called feel welcome and invited into our churches, into our fellowships, into our hearts. And Jesus did this. I mean, the Bible is littered with people, yeah? Littered with people. How Jesus looked at a person, the woman at the well. He didn't see her history. I mean, he knew it. Did he condemn her? No. No. He had a dialogue with her. He talked to her. It was illegal for him to do so in terms of the law, the religious law. But he did. Because he looked at her and he saw her heart. He saw her kingdom personality. He saw the possibilities in her. If you look, I mean, Zacchaeus, wonderful. I mean, how many of us love the tax department? Boom! (laughs) But think of somebody that we don't like. Um, a bad employer or whatever. Zacchaeus sitting in the tree. Jesus walks past. Oi, you, I'm coming to your house for tea. Somebody that no one would meet with. And I love Jesus for this. I think it's amazing that Jesus just broke every rule possible. Because he wasn't prepared to judge others. He just saw them. This is who you are, sister. I love you. I'm going to die for you. The adulteress, the blind man, Lazarus. I mean, Lazarus was dead for heaven's sake. But did Jesus see him as dead? Did he? No. Lazarus was dead. But what did Jesus see? What did, what did Jesus see? Hmm? He saw life in that dead body. <laughs> and not just the dead body, but the body behind the, the wall. A smelly body. Locked behind a rock in a tomb. He saw differently. Judas. He saw into the heart of Judas. He knew Judas was going to betray him. But what did he do? What did Jesus do? He washed his feet. He got on his knees and he washed his feet. The man that was going to kill him. Why would he have done that? I mean, the man that was going to betray him. Because he saw differently. He saw differently. He stepped back from a place of judgment. And he saw into the heart of mankind. He saw into the heart of you and me. You see, we can continue with this list, but it has to come back to you and me. We can either believe what the world says about God. 
We can believe those people who put things on us years ago. We can believe all of that. And equally, we can still continue to say, you know what? I'm going to make judgment on this and that. I will continue to take the high road. And Jesus says, stop it. Just stop it. We talk a lot about the new season. A move, an awakening within the body of Christ. And it's happening. It's starting to happen across the United Kingdom. This awakening. People moving in a supernatural way again. Do we become revival police? And say, well, that's not how it happened before. That's not what happened in the Welsh revival. That's not what happened. And the minute we start to do that, we start to box people in. We start to box people in. We cast doubt with our judgments. And Jesus is saying, are you prepared to have your mind changed for my kingdom my purpose as Luke was saying earlier on are we ready to have Jesus brought back into the center of our thinking we are called to be a people that breaks down barriers we are called to be a people that build bridges And you know what? The greatest enemy is ourselves. Because we sometimes just lock down. I can't speak to those people. A young of gang, gangsters, a hoodies standing on a street corner. Am I going to cross onto the other side? Because in my mind, I have a stereotype mindset that I'm going to be hurt by them? Or do we walk right into the middle, <laughs> say, hi, can you tell me how you keep your trainers so clean? <laughs> and I did that a while ago. I thought I have an option. I can either go around this group or I can just walk through them. And I thought, Lord, you need to give me a word here because I'm going to go through. And the word was about trainers. I thought, where's the common ground? Where am I going to feel comfortable? And where are they going to feel comfortable and unthreatened? And it was to do with trainers. But it led to a conversation about trainers. But later on, I met them further down the road. And one point, hey, that's that friendly woman. <laughs> she asked me about my trainers. So every time now when I walk past McDonald's in Penge, I have all these gangsters saying, hey, and I'm like, hey. Yeah. Yeah. I get it, and I'm going to answer you. I'm going to answer you because it's actually a very important question, and it's a question that's been discussed quite extensively within some of the prophetic circles. How do you call out something without 
condemning and tearing down the person. Yeah? And this is where Jesus was so good because he could speak to the heart of the person. The woman at the well, um, I could go into a big debate. I've seen other women like that today who can't exist in a slum without having a man. Okay? Um, so there's a debate about that. It's a misconception. But this is where we have to walk with the Spirit of God. This is how we have to walk with the Spirit of God. So we can either go, and this used to be my old tactic, walk in boots and all. You know what? I'm going to tear you down. You're a sinner. You, yeah, sorry, but no. And walk away. But I'm going to pray for you. Do you know what you've done? Immediately a barrier has come up for that person. Not you. You're right, actually. Bible says so. But it's here. It's here. And if we can do that in a way that says, you know what, sister, brother, I love you. I love you. But there's this and this that maybe could be changed. And I've seen this. I've seen this in so many, in the gay community, where the door comes down, shut, and we start to exclude people from the gospel. We do it on a racial level, where we say, you know what, I don't do it the African-Caribbean way. And immediately we shut people out from ministering to us and us to them. And recently I went to something um, I battled in my mind. I don't like that particular style of worship. I don't like it when preachers scream down the microphones. I don't like it when it's, okay. But the Lord said, go, I have a word for you. I went. And it was cringeworthy. Cringeworthy, okay. Can you hear my judgment? And halfway through it, there was two sentences, which was the word for me. But I had to get on my knees to be able to receive it. Yeah? And we have got to get this right within the church, within the body of Christ. How do we do this? How do we bridge those differences, that divide? How do we step back from preconceived ideas and judgment? Into what God is calling us. Jesus did it. Actually, if you go, I listened to something recently and it shocked me. Um, Jesus would say, go, you don't have to sin no more. Go and sin no more to a lot of these people. Yeah? Um, But he didn't make them beg for forgiveness. And there was a, a whole preach on this. And I thought, actually, that's true. What is it? You know, there's a lot of thought out there about all sorts of things. So how do we do it? How do we meet somebody completely free of judgment to say, 
I'd like you to meet my friend Jesus. Because judgment shuts doors. It closes doors. It brings down barriers. It puts up barriers. Jesus did it. And we have to then, coming back to your question, it is about how do we work with the Holy Spirit? How do we work with the Holy Spirit? To listen. I work in an industry where I'm every day, I'm given something that says, what do you think? I have to make a judgment call to say, that's bad, that's good. These people are going to get hammered. These people will let them off the hook for now. Yeah? And I've started to even look at what I do through the eyes of Jesus. Who are the people involved in this? What is their, we don't know what their journey has been. But we want to keep the door open as the body of Christ. We want to keep that door open. Jesus, the Holy Spirit, will convict of sin. It's not our job. And trust me, 56 years later, I've learned this the hard way. <laughs> it's when we need to close. Can we carry, we'll carry this on. I'm not trying to stop the conversation, but we'll talk about this, okay? And I've seen it on the street. We are here to spread the gospel, not to bring people into judgment. And I want to leave that with you. There were three things we want to pray for people today is just to stand in agreement with you. If there is something that you want to see differently, a situation like Saul Paul, where he couldn't see the difference, he couldn't see how to move forward, to pray for that. We'll just stand in agreement that those eyes will open. Yeah, to see differently. Perhaps you've been put under judgment by somebody in the past. We want to stand in agreement with you today that that thing is now broken off you and you're free to move into the identity that God has for you. Somebody who needs a new vision and somebody today that needs to know God. God trusts you. He trusts you. And you need to know that. He trusts you.